All right, let's get our Bibles out. Let's do what we do. Turn a few pages here. Colossians uh, chapter 3 is where we are today. Colossians 3, just a few verses there. Um, while you're turning there, how many dog people have I got around here? All right, that's the way dog people are. They always make some sound. When I answer that question, cat people don't do that. They're just quiet, right? But dog people, they're like that. We're dog people at our house. So I, I read a story, true story this week about uh, the Vasquez family that lives in San Antonio. And they had a little chihuahua named King, right? And uh, King is a cute little dog and, and a storm came through and King got scared and he got somehow got out of the yard they looked everywhere for little King and they couldn't find him anywhere. And then later they, they got a phone call, received a phone call that the King had been found. It's just that the call came six years later and King was not in San Antonio, he was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. So in fact, I think here's a picture of King's homecoming right here, go ahead and say aw. Yeah, that's right. There, there you go. He's back to his mama. Uh, but how crazy is that, right? That this little dog somehow gets all the way to Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I bet he's got some stories to tell, right? Uh, just wandering that far away from home. Well, in Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians who were in Colossae. Remember, it was a church plant. It's about six years old. These are all brand new believers. And, and he's calling them, the, these Christians to come back home to Jesus. A lot of false teachers that kind of made their way into the church were trying to lead them astray. And so he's calling them back to devotion to Jesus, back to putting their heart and their mind on Jesus and not on uh, anything else. And he's just calling them back home. Now, let's be honest there. You may be here today and you feel like you're wandering spiritually, that you're not really where you used to be. Maybe your mom taught you the word of God when you were a young child and you remember being in church, you remember hearing the word of God taught to you, but somehow you have wandered away from him. Maybe you had a family that was a family of faith, but, but somewhere along the way you have been adrift and you've wandered far from God. Well, today is a call for you to come home to come back home. So I want you to listen to these words that they're there for you today. So let's, uh, let's just look at it together. Colossians chapter three, beginning of verse one. This is the word of God. So if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Now, these are just four simple verses, and yet they're very important because Paul is making a pivot. He's making a turn in the letter. Up to this point, Paul's been making the case that Jesus is greater. That's why the, t the title of the series is Jesus is Greater. In chapter 1, he makes the case that Jesus is supreme over all things. He's created all things. He sustains all things. He is over all things. He is head of all things. And he deserves worship. 
In chapter 2, he makes the case that Jesus is superior to all other thoughts, religious thoughts. He's superior to man's wisdom. He's superior to religious tradition. He's superior to mystical experiences. Jesus is greater than all that, right? And then he gets to chapter 3 and he pivots and he's saying, if Jesus is superior and if he is supreme, uh, then he needs to be first in your life. He needs to be primary in your life. That should change the way you live. I think this is a pivot all of us have to make at some point, right? All of us have to make this pivot where it's not just enough to know about him, but you have to know him. It's not just about not enough to, to know that Jesus is great, but is he great in your life? So Paul really gets personal here. And he's really pressing into these Christians. And it, you can hear Paul's pastoral heart really just calling to them and encouraging them as we get into this, uh, this passage here. And so look at how Paul begins. Look at very, verse 1. He says, so if you have been raised with Christ. Now stop right there. This is not new language. Paul has basically been making the case for the last two chapters that when you come to faith in Jesus, your old life dies. And because Christ is raised, you are now raised with him and you have a brand new life. Another place he said, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, right? And so he's saying, so if Jesus has really done all that for you, if you're a new person in Christ, then you need to live like it. There needs to be some difference, right? There needs to be some change that's happening in your life. Listen, Jesus, uh, every life that Jesus touches, he changes. Every life that Jesus touches, he changes. And uh, listen, Jesus loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you the way that you are. And his plan for you is always to move you to be formed in the likeness of Christ. Always move you to become the person he created you to be and redeemed you to be. And so there's going to be some natural changes. And throughout the chapter 3, he's going to get into some things that change when Jesus is in charge. When now that you're a new, now that you've been raised, now you're a new person, he's going to make some changes in your life. And we're not going to do it, deal with that today. That's in the next weeks to come. But he's going to talk about your sex life. He's going to talk about your family life. He's going to talk about your work life. He's going to talk about your relationships. I mean, he's going to talk about these things that change when Jesus is in charge. But in these four little verses, he basically puts his finger on one change that has to happen that will allow the other changes to happen. And if this one change doesn't happen, then none of the others will happen. And let me just say, as a pastor who's helped people walk along their spiritual journey for a long time, I can tell you that if this one change doesn't happen, then you will not make the other changes as difficult as they may be. So he really leans in on this one change. You say, okay, Craig, so what is the one change that has to happen for me to really live out the life that God has for me? We'll look at the next phrase. He says, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2, he says it the same, same thing, kind of a different way. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So what does it mean to seek the things above, to set your mind on the things above? What does that mean? All right, so I live just, uh, just uh, authenticity, vulnerability from the preacher. Uh, I've, I've been wrestling with this this week, trying to get my hands around it. What, does, what is Paul really saying here? Because we can say, oh yeah, on the surface, just think about heaven, you know, but it's more than that. 
So what is he really saying? So some people say that what Paul means is he's talking kingdom language. He's saying that Christ is at the right hand of the Father. He's ruling. He's reigning. There's a kingdom and he's the king, right? And, and he prayed. He said, we're to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To seek first the kingdom of God, right? So he's saying Jesus is king. He's got a way that he, uh, we should live and we need to surrender to the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And I think that that's true, right? Other people say, set your mind on things above, think, think about things above, means that you're just to think about and, and do the things that are, are godly, right? Like, you know, worship and prayer and Bible study and sharing your faith and all these things that we know and love, that we need to make that an important priority. And I think that's true too. But I think it's more than that. So if you and I were having coffee at the coffee shop, I've got my little Americano with a little bit of, little bit of cream on there. And you've got your favorite drink and we're sitting there and we got our Bibles open to this passage right here. And we read this, seek the things above where Christ is at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. And we say, what does that mean? I'd probably lean forward. I'd say, you know what? Okay, let me just try to tell you what I think this means. I think what Paul is saying is the things that are eternal in this life are what matters most. The things that are eternal are what matters most. And we need to give our attention to that. In fact, if you note on the side in your margin of your Bible, you can write this, 2 Corinthians 4.18, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. See, he's saying you get so caught up in stuff that doesn't matter. But the eternal things are what matter. And top of that list is your relationship with Jesus and seeking to please him. You boil it all down. It's your relationship with Jesus and living a life please him because you're seeking him you're setting your mind on him you're wanting to please him with your life now this is a colossal change in thinking because before you were saved your only thought was what pleased you right well I go to this school because that pleases me I want to do this career because that's what pleases me I date this person because they make me happy I do this because I like it. I wear these clothes because it makes me happy I do the things that make me happy that please me but when you give your life to Christ there's this shift there's this pivot and that pivot is I no longer live for myself, but I live to please him. And that's a major change. What would please Jesus? Is my life pleasing Jesus? And, and so your life becomes the pursuit of pleasing him. In fact, Paul said it in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, we make it our goal to please him. I mean, that's what he said. Now, the minute I say that, uh, that's going to trigger some of you. All right, so let me just talk about that for a minute, that trigger. I have a friend of mine that, that told me a story about, he said, I, I was playing high school soccer game. And he said, it was really excited. It was a great game. It was an intense game. I got to play. He said, I'm out there playing and I and actually score a goal. And so, man, every place erupts. I mean, it's all amazing. He said, yeah, I had a penalty you know, throughout the game, but I scored this goal. It was awesome. We went on to win the game. He said, so I go over to the sidelines where my parents are and they're like, yeah, and everybody's cheering and everything. Mom is like, oh, that's so awesome, my baby. You know, that kind of thing. And he said, I looked at my dad and my dad was just standing there kind of stone-faced. He goes, you made it, you, you got a penalty. No mention of the goal, you got a penalty. 
And he said, my whole life I've been trying to please my dad. And nothing's ever good enough. If I, got, if I get four A's and a B, he only fixates on the B. You know, if I do something right, well, he ignores what I do right. And, so, and he said, my whole life I've been trying to please my dad and I can never please him. He said, I'm in my 40s now and I still remember that day and I still know how that feels. And for some of you, you grew up in a family like that where you just couldn't please your parents. You couldn't please your boyfriend or your girlfriend. You weren't smart enough. You weren't pretty enough. You weren't athletic enough. Uh, you weren't talented enough. And you always feel less than, you always feel, you know, kind of to the side. You're never quite making muster or whatever the case is. You always feel less than. And so you're trying to find acceptance by working, but it's never enough. And so when you hear the phrase to please Jesus, that triggers in your mind. You're like, man, I just, I can't go down that road because I can't be perfect and I'll never be able to please Jesus. And here's what I want you to understand. That's not who Jesus is. And that's not how to have a relationship with him. For two chapters, this is why, by the way, we don't just read verses, we read the context of every verse, right? What, for two chapters, Paul's been telling you that Christ has done everything to redeem you. He paid the penalty, he rose from the grave, he defeated and disarmed the enemies of the devil, that you are saved, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are embraced, you're wanted, you're accepted, all because of what Christ has done, not by what you do. He has been saying this over and over and over. So when you get to the point of saying, seek him and set your mind on him and live to please him, what he, what he means is this. Listen, if Jesus has done all that for you, then just... Love him, seek him, pursue him. Seek to please him out of gratitude in your heart for what Christ has done. So this is a good place to stop and ask some questions. Is your life pleasing Jesus? Are you setting your mind on Jesus? Are you seeking Jesus? Is it your goal to please Jesus? Ask yourself the question, Jesus, or am I, or my, is my thought life pleasing you? Are my attitudes pleasing you? Are my words pleasing to you? Are my priorities pleasing to you? Or the way I spend my time or my money or, or what I'm watching on my phone? Or are these things pleasing to you, God? One of the things that I've tried to incorporate just in my own personal life with the Lord is on occasion, and normally it's not very regimented, I'll be honest with you. It's mostly when the Spirit of God brings it to my mind. But I'll say, Lord... Is there anything in my life that's not pleasing to you? Please show me. Just put a spotlight on it and I'll confess it quickly, you know? I just want to know, is there anything between us? Sometimes I look at Liz and go, are we good? We good? Oh yeah, we're good. You know, on a scale of one to 10, are we good? Like how good are we? You know? Like 10 being awesome, one being like terrible, you know, well, Craig, I, we're good. Like above five? Yeah, we're seven, 10? We're 10, Craig. Awesome. You know, I mean, it's that whole idea because it, if you have somebody you love, you want it to be good, right? You want your relationship to be right. And so are you living that way to please Jesus in every area? Now, I think the reason why Paul is mentioning this here to these young Christians, these baby Christians, is because he knows that if they get off course and not keep their eyes on Jesus, seeking Jesus, setting their mind on Jesus, and seeking to please him, then they'll, it'll, they'll veer down a road that'll be very destructive. And I can tell you what that road looks like. 
When you get your mind off of Jesus, let me tell you where this road leads. Number one, it leads to distraction. And you'll start thinking about other things. So now all of a sudden your career is more important. Now all of a sudden your golf game is more important. Now all of a sudden your hunting trip is more important. Now all of a sudden your shopping is more important or the, or the kids' grades are more important or whatever the thing is that you're into. That becomes the most important thing. I have a friend of mine and he grew up in a Christian home, gave his life to Christ when he was young and he went off to college and, and really walked with God in college. He was a part of a collegiate ministry, thriving in his walk with God. And when he graduated from college, he got into a career and it just blew up. I mean, it did better than he possibly imagined. He was making more money than he could possibly imagine. And he said, Craig, it, it was such a rush and such a thrill and so all-consuming that at one point I just lost sight of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you've just lost sight of Jesus and all the things that you're pursuing and how busy your life is. You're just distracted. And if you stay distracted long enough, then what happens is you move from distracted to disappointed because all of a sudden those things that you're pursuing that are supposed to make you happy and supposed to bring you joy and meaning and so on, they don't ever pan out quite because <laughs> they're people, right? And they're, you're trying to get some significance from things that cannot, they're trying, you're trying to fill a hole with something that only Jesus can fill. You're trying to derive satisfaction from something or someone that can't do that for you. And so you become disappointed. Now you want a new spouse or you want a new job or you want to change this or, or change that. And so everything is about change and scramble to try to find something that only Jesus can give you. And then ultimately, when that continues for too long, you end up in despair. And we've seen a lot of people in despair, haven't we, over this last year and a half. That their careers have fallen apart, their families have struggled, and they're in a despairing place. And that may be you. And if that is you, honestly, just ask yourself the question, could it be that you've lost sight of Jesus? That you're not seeking him. You're not setting your mind on him, seeking to please him more than anything else. Can you hear pa the pastoral heart in Paul here? He's just pleading with him. He's like you talk to your kids, right? You say, just seek the Lord. Just put him first. Just, just set your mind on him. Don't get distracted from him because that's going to take you down a road. And then, then he kind of, in the last two verses, he kind of pivots back to what, when we come home to Jesus, when we come home to making him our hope and him our joy and him our pursuit, when you come home to Jesus, all of a sudden there's some good things that he gives us. And I want to show these to you. Uh, just real quickly. First off, coming home to Jesus means coming home to security. Look at verse three. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Coming home means coming back to his covering and protection in your life. I just love that. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's no more secure place than that, right? No more secure place than that. I mean, picture a, uh, picture a mom and she's holding, maybe uh, there, there's a fire, right? And she's, she's holding on to her infant child and she's trying to make her way out of this fire and she's doing the best she can. She's holding him. But then there's a fireman that comes up around her and he puts his jacket over her and he covers him and he takes him out. That's the picture here. You're safe. It, Jesus says it another way in John 14, 20. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Don't figure that one out. But I don't know how that works, but it's like, I got you, right? I got you. Listen, whatever you're facing right now, 
It's nothing for Jesus. He's got you. You are hidden with Christ in God. He has got you. Not based on your effort, based on his power and his ability to hold you. What a comfort, right? I, I saw a picture of this recently that really helped me to understand it. Uh, about a week or so ago, I was just in my regular uh, time in the Word and reading, not sermon prep, just praying, reading God's Word, letting Him speak to me. Uh, I, I came across uh, Psalm 91, and this is what it says. He will cover you with His feathers. He will shelter you with His wings. And I was just pondering that. In fact, I was looking up lots of other verses in the Bible that have that same analogy. I was just kind of pondering that and praying that through. So recently, I went on a, uh, a, a turkey hunt with a bunch of guys. Kids got to eat, right, folks? Kids got to eat. And uh, some of these guys were, were on this walk through the woods and they saw something and they were like, what is that on the ground? And they got closer and closer and closer and they, they got within just a few feet. And what it was, was a, a turkey hen and she had her wings up over her face buried down all the leaves around. I mean, you would, could have easily stepped on her. And when they got within a couple of feet, she flushed and she had about a dozen turkey eggs that she was covering over with her body, with her wings. And when I saw that picture, I thought, that's, that's Psalm 91. He covers you. Listen, listen to me. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are a treasure to him. He loves you. And you are protected by him. Coming home means coming home to his protection. Coming home also means coming home to your purpose. Look at what he says just real quick here. When Christ, who is your life, appears. By the way, just stop, stop. I'm just taking this apart. I love it. He just goes, when Christ, he could have said when Christ appears, right? When Christ appears, da, da, da. But he says when Christ, who is your life, appears. And I just think that's really significant here. He didn't say when Christ who is a part of your life appears, when Christ who is most of your life appears. He said when Christ who is your life appears. And that, that's, that has some weight to it. Uh, every time I watch like the NFL draft or the MLB draft or something like that, you always think about athletes and they go, man, you know, football is my life, you know, or sports is my life. Or maybe somebody's going, you know, my career is my life or my girlfriend's my life or my kids are my life. And all those things are wonderful things. But if they are your life, <laughs> if that thing is your life or that person is your life, then that means that you only exist for them. And you were never created to exist for anything other than Jesus. And he said, listen, young Christians, <laughs> seek Jesus. Set your mind on him. Seek to please him. Don't let this world distract you or, or cause you to wander away from that. And listen, he's not only going to protect you, but he's going to become your life. Your source of joy, your source of hope, your source of peace in a very disturbed world. He's your life. He's your purpose. And then he says coming home means coming home to hope. Look at what he says here at the end. I just love this. He says, and when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. No matter what this world does, no matter what happens in this world, we know 
that you're going to appear with Jesus in glory. There's a lot of craziness out in the world, right? Isn't there crazy? A lot of crazy out there. But listen, we don't have to sit around and wring our hands. Oh, what's going to happen with the, the politics? What's going to happen with the economy? What's going to happen with this? What's going to happen with that? I mean, we, we wring our hands over a lot of stuff, right? And he's saying, listen, listen. No matter what happens, your life is hidden with Christ and God, that he is your life. And when, when he appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. The Christians are the most hopeful people on the planet because we have read the end of the book, right? We, we know how this thing ends. That Christ is coming again. That Christ is coming physically, literally, in reality. That Christ will appear and we will be with him uh, when he comes. Now listen, if you, if you die before Christ returns, then that's cool because Revelation 19 says that when he comes, you're going to get to come with him. Woohoo! Man, I'm telling you, I'm excited for that one, man. I mean, he's going to come on a white horse and we're going to come with him. That's going to be so awesome. I mean, just the perspective of that. If you die first, you get to come with him. And if you're still alive when he comes, you get to, get, you get to be caught up together in the air with him. So whether you're caught up or coming down, it doesn't matter, man. You are with Christ in glory. My friends, that is hope. That is hope. And that's yours in Jesus. That's yours in Jesus. This week is a, uh, obviously an important week because of Mother's Day. But this is also the week that we think about in our family about Liz's mother, who passed away just a few days before Mother's Day. And um, I was thinking about her this week. I was out of town and I texted Liz and said, hey, I'm just praying for you and your mom's home going and her heaven day. But she's with Jesus. And we're going to see her really soon. For some of you, you lost your mom in the last year. Some of you, I've done those services. I've been with you at the graveside. But we have hope because your life is hidden with Christ and God because he is your life and one day you will appear with him in glory. That's what you have when you come home to Jesus. So if you are wandering, this is your call to come home, to set your mind on Jesus to seek Jesus, to seek to please him with your life. When that change happens in your life, then all the other changes, uh, God does his work. I want you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. If eternal things are the most important things in life, then it starts with your relationship with Jesus. And you may be here today and you feel very far from home. You feel far from God for whatever reason. But today's your opportunity to come back home. Listen, here's the gospel. The gospel is when we were wayward and far from God and unable to get back home, that Jesus came. And Jesus, God in the flesh, 
revealed the Father to us. He went to a cross. He took on your sin. He took on your shame. He took on your waywardness. And he paid for it with his own blood as a sacrifice in your place. That they took his lifeless body and they put it in the tomb. But three days later, he rose again from the grave, victorious over it. And now he offers you a chance to start over. It's a gospel for wanderers. It's a gospel, it's good news for the wayward that you can come home to Jesus. And so maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I'm going to pray a simple prayer of faith and I'd love to help you kind of walk through that right where you're seated to pray and ask Christ to forgive you of your sin. So if you're here today and you say, Craig, I've never given my life to Christ, but I I feel that I need Jesus right now. I'm not going to call you out, but just lift up your hand so that I can know that God's at work in your heart. I'm going to walk you through a simple prayer of faith. Just lift up your hand right now. Craig, I need Christ. I need to know for sure that I'm right with God. I don't know for sure that I'm right with God. All right. Okay. Pastor, pray for me. Pray for me. Lift up your hand. Okay. All right. Okay. Anybody else? Pastor, pray for me. All right. Put your hand down. I want you to just pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I've sinned against you. And I know I've gone my own way. But I believe you died on a cross for me. I believe you rose again from the dead. So I'm asking you now, please forgive me. Please change me. Today I surrender all that I am to you. And I want to live my life to please you. Thank you for loving me. Now let me pray for all of us. Lord, I thank you so much for your goodness and your kindness with us, your patience with us. Lord, I I just admit that so many times we can get distracted and not to seek you and to set our eyes on you to make it our pursuit to please you. And Lord, I pray if there's anything in our lives that are not pleasing to you, that God, you would show us so that we can correct it. Lord, we don't want to waste our one life on earthly things that don't matter. We want to give our one life to eternal things that last. So Lord, continue to show us how to do that. And to keep you, Jesus, in the center of our thoughts and minds and hearts. The center of our life around which everything revolves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.